Welcome Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners. This is Mark Penrith, your host on Table Talk this morning. Table Talk is your opportunity normally to join the conversation, but this morning we are doing a pre-recorded show with two friends of mine. Tommy and Juan will be answering questions and answers regarding biblical leadership. But unfortunately, because it is pre-recorded, uh, we will not have any dial-ins uh, or questions and answers via WhatsApp or via Facebook comments. However, I have no doubt that you are going to enjoy the show. I have two subject matter experts that are going to be talking on all matters regarding biblical leadership. Uh, let me introduce uh, Tommy first. Tommy van der Volt uh, joins us. He is from Alberton. Um, and Tommy, I'd like to give you an opportunity just to introduce yourself, the people you serve, and the organization that you serve. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure uh, interacting with you online and off the air, or on air and off the air. I've had some good, deep conversations. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Tommy van der Volt. I serve as the executive director at, on, uh, at Imprint. An imprint exists to leave a healthy mark on the growing church in Southern Africa. We provide trustworthy biblical resources and training to churches, helping them um, grow in a healthy biblical way. Um, I'm a husband of one wife, a father of three, and I also serve as an elder at Breckner's Baptist Church, um, preaching regularly, counseling, discipling, and do everything a good shepherd should do. <laughs> so, oh, and I served uh, in India for two years as a missionary, planted a church there. Um, yeah. So. Tommy, you, you and my relationship goes back years. I've always enjoyed interacting with you. Um, Imprint has benefited the church that I serve by providing us with resources over many years. Very grateful for that um, particular ministry that you are involved in. And then Brackenhurst Baptist Church, long relationship with Brackenhurst Baptist Church. Really love your guy's senior pastor, Doug Von Meter. Uh, he has often uh, led with mentorship, whether it be things that he's written or conversations that I've had when I phoned him in a panic, um, needing some guidance or some help on various topics. Um, yeah, and I mean, I stand corrected, but I'm fairly certain you are the most invited interviewee uh, on Table Talk on uh, Friday mornings uh, here on Radio Pulpit. I really enjoy uh, interacting with you. Great. Looking forward to it. Look, often we interact on the nine marks of a healthy church. Uh, you're a subject matter expert on these things. I mean, you've been driving the nine marks in the South African environment for many years. You and I actually spent a couple of weeks together as we went to the States, to Washington, D.C. on a nine marks weekender um, and uh, international intensive. And one of the marks of a healthy church is biblical leadership. So I'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say on the topic. Let's introduce uh, Juan. Juan, maybe you just want to introduce yourself uh, as well as the church that you serve uh, so that the listeners have an idea of who you are. Good morning, everyone. I'm Juan. I pastor in Ennerdale in the deep, deep south. You have to go past the toll gate to get there. Um, <laughs> my church is called Ennerdale Grace Baptist Church. I'm the lead pastor there. Um, I'm currently studying my master's on um, biblical eldership and looking for a healthy model for churches out there to use. So thanks for the opportunity, Mark. I'm looking forward to the discussion. 
And I, I gotta say, Ewan, I was gonna have Tommy on on a topic of his choosing. But really when I chatted with you at an association meeting, a Baptist association meeting a few weeks ago, and just listened to your research in terms of your masters and your current thinking, I, I wanted to have you on on this topic. And so it's really cool to be joined. Uh, by you today. I'm, I'm so looking forward uh, to what you have to say about biblical leadership. Guys, I want us to jump straight in. Maybe we can begin by fleshing out and talking about what biblical leadership is publicly. Because <laughs> I, I, I think leadership takes on so many forms out there in the church, but sometimes we miss the discussion of what leadership is biblically and maybe we can just start in God's word. Uh, Tommy, do you want to kick us off in terms of the discussion? Yeah, um, yeah. so I think from the outside we need to know that um, Jesus Christ leads his church no matter who says what. Uh, the church belongs to him um, and so he leads it. But then he appointed apostles first and then as we read through scriptures we see the apostles appointing elders in the church uh, as under shepherds to lead Christ's church. Um, so he uses these means, uh, church leaders, to lead his church. And this is important and foundational um, because as Christ lived, he gave us an example uh, as a leader, as a servant. And I think those things can confuse people because uh, these days they, they think that leaders are authoritarian they they kind of bark and and lead um but with christ he he led through humility and uh he showed a servanthood he said he came to serve and not to be served um so that's the i think the the bare essential to start off with that we are as elders or leaders we can get into that discussion but later maybe um we basically show people how Christ served the, the body, his, his bride, the church, um, through our actions and, and through our uh, way we interact with them and, and looking after them as, as under shepherds. Um, and then if you go down to like First uh, Timothy, Titus, First Peter, um, all those scripture verses or passages points to like the qualifications of an elder and what they should look like, what they should strive to be. Um, so that's important. Um, yeah, so I, I think that that would be the the more well-known passages uh, that that you would go to to see what an elder should be biblically. Um, but then history proves that as well um, that elders have been in the church since the church was established. Um, even if you go as far as as Genesis, where where God instructed Adam to take dominion and lead as an elder of the Garden of, of, of Eden and helping his wife. Um, so I think that would be in a very small nutshell where I would would go to would be Genesis um, and then the, the epistles and, and the instructions there. But to interrupt myself now that I think of it, I mean, you can even think of Moses, Abraham. Uh, I mean, there are so many examples of, of biblical leadership and the characteristics and qualifications, um, and and the and the way the means that they they went through to to lead God's people, that's sure. that's where I would start. And I think, and we we can get into this more. But I just want to give a quote. D. A. Carson said this: 
He said, an elder does what an ordinary Christian should do extraordinarily well. He is a model for the whole flock. He is a picture of maturity for all of them. Um, and I think that strikes that it's just we are mere men. We are believers, but we do things that believers need to do. We do it extraordinarily well to show people what they need to strive for. So big responsibility, um, but that's in a nutshell, I think, what I would say. Hey, if I had to just um, say what you've said back to you, because I, I think that you've made, uh, you've made two excellent points. Uh, the first point being the ultimate authority of Christ over his church in terms of biblical leadership and the biblical example of leadership. And then the second point actually being a biblical theology of leadership as opposed to kind of going straight to elders um, or priests in the Old Testament, elders in the New Testament. Um, under Christ, if I had to just think of, through just a, a few verses that come to mind, uh, I think of, of Jesus' statement in Matthew, um, chapter, let's go with 16, where he says, I will call my church, and against it the gates of Hades will not prevail. Uh, and then this idea of this church belonging to Jesus, being 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 spoken about in the epistles as well as in the book of Revelation. I, I think of the epistles in the book of Colossians. I'm fairly sure that Paul starts off in chapter 1 by talking about Jesus Christ being the head of the church. And that idea of headship and that metaphor is again repeated by the apostle John in the book of Revelation again in chapter 1 as this vision of Jesus Christ, this this glorified vision of Jesus Christ, but again, him not only holding the keys to to death and Hades, but him being the head of the church uh, and yep. overall. And then that biblical theology of leadership, I loved it, starting with Adam in the garden, Genesis chapter 2, but then following the, the track, you know, uh, to the patriarchs, uh, uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, crossing over to Moses, who passes the baton onto Joshua, and then into a time of judges, you think of Samuel and Gideon and God raising up leader after leader, and then into kings, you have uh, Saul and David and Solomon, and, and then you go through all the kings, particularly the kings, I think, in the southern kingdom, who fared a little yeah. bit better than the kings in the northern kingdom. But even as you cross into the books that aren't given in chronological order, the prophets really exercised a mechanism of leadership as they represented God to the people. And then into yeah. the New Testament, first John the Baptist, then Jesus Christ, and then Christ appointing his apostles. Uh, first disciples, who are then the, the apostles. And then the baton handed over to elders of local churches. I, I just love that idea of looking at biblical leadership through the eyes of biblical theology yeah well done that was that was excellent and maybe I, I don't know why i hadn't thought of that before but but i really enjoyed that well done john uh, come in and uh, uh tommy has kind of given us an outline of biblical leadership maybe you want to just color in the, uh, the 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 pattern that he has presented to us a little bit well tommy said it all nobody needs to say anything after that he's given a full description of what we we're looking for but I would lean to, to another end of the spectrum is how we do it wrong. I know we speak about getting the biblical model right. We can't speak of a biblical model if we don't have a model. Mm. The Bible is our model, number one, but because we so much in the secular world, we interact with the way they build up certain things, all of a sudden we want to cut and paste that in the church. Yes. 
And what happens then is we have a whole top-down CEO kind of structure where one guy calls all the shots and everybody just listens and goes about it. But when we look at it from a biblical perspective, we don't get a model that exists like that. And when you see in today, in, in churches today, you see guys go around looking about if I am an apostle, I am at the top of the, the, the biblical leadership perspective. And that's not it. And, and that's what guys are leaning to. If I'm a prophet, I have more voice. Where when we go through the scriptures and, and we start studying it, we can go to Acts chapter 20 where Paul is speaking to the Ephesians and he, he speaks to them and he gives them the task, what the elders should do. He should protect and he should guard against the wolves. And, and that's what he should do against the flock and for the flock. And when you, when you think about that, you see, if you have somebody that's a CEO sitting on the top, just giving instructions, is he looking after himself or is he looking after God's flock? Where you see Peter who was an apostle when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, as a fellow elder mm. to the elders here, he writes on that very same level where I feel he could have pulled a, a rank, if I can call it that, and say, I am an apostle. I saw Jesus. I walked with him. And yet Peter comes and he says, I'm an elder just like you called to serve in the local church. And I believe that should be every elder's heart's desire is to have that of Peter and say, I'm a fellow elder just like you working for Jesus, who is the chief shepherd of this church. Mm. I just so happens um, that we have a leadership transition at Crystal Park um, at the moment. And so this Sunday I preached from 1 Timothy chapter 4. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, who is addressing Timothy, who has a very unique role in the city of Ephesus. But as he addresses him, he says, if you point these things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. That word good really being excellent and that word servant being from the word diakonos or deacon, a minister, an excellent minister. Um, and we are nothing more than servants, never mind what role has been carved out for us within the context of the local church, nothing more than servants of Jesus Christ who is the head. Guys, that was a, that was a great start. So now that we've kind of fleshed out um, a description of biblical leadership, both in the positive as well as in the negative, Juan. Let's now just quickly go to the qualifications for leaders. What, what does the effective leader of God's people look like within the context of the local church? Uh, Juan, maybe start with you this time. Well, I would, I would say that you should have a desire to lead. And that's in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that before you can even lead or we can look at what you should look like, there should be a desire that I want to do this. Even though I don't know how to do it, um, I want to learn from somebody. There should be an eagerness from a person to lead. And I feel in, in the local church today, we, we're looking for, for guys that's established somewhere. Mm. Whereas we don't look for somebody who has the desire to lead God's people. And that's key in the word is that the leader should have a desire to lead God's people. And mm. then we can look at qualifications from there. But it's key to have a desire because some people, if I look in Baptist churches today, because I'm in a Baptist church, 
if I if I look in Baptist churches, you get nominated, you sign whether you want to be there or there. I was nominated by somebody. Mm. Do I have the desire to lead is a different question. So I would suggest I would say that before we look at what the leader should have, let's see does he have a desire to lead God's people. Yeah, excellent. Very very well made point. I've I've seen in churches often the leadership are there by compulsion because nobody else stood up and so they feel like they must lead because there's got to be somebody who uh, puts their shoulder to the yoke um, rather than actually just waiting for the for the spirit to move and to raise up men of his own choosing. Tommy, where to from here as we talk about the qualifications of God's men? Yeah, just uh, just I think again going back to to Christ as the as the head or the the shepherd of the church. Um, I think Paul clearly, as an under shepherd, helping the under under shepherds, if I can put it put it that way. Uh, I mean, First Corinthians eleven verse one, he says to imitate him as he also imitates Christ. Um, and in Philippians three seventeen, it says also that he needs uh, we need to imitate us. So there is a, a representative here that that we need to show the church. So basically, church leadership, and I, and I agree with with what is was said that the the desire needs to be there uh not to again not to be served but to serve so to imitate christ's um whole being of why he came to earth we want people to see christ through the way we lead them so that they can imitate us in becoming more like christ um but if the desire is not there you're not going to do that uh you're going to want to impose authority or unhealthy thinking of 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 your role so i think the first job i would say is is for for people to imitate you as you imitate christ as as paul said but then second to that is also ephesians 4 12 where it says to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of christ so again it's that whole responsibility of what am i doing here uh, I want to equip the saints, which is a different conversation, uh, the compelling community kind of book of of not creating consumers, but cre- creating um, contributors. So I want to equip the saints for the ministry. But how do I do that? By example. So I'm teaching, but I'm also showing by example what it is to be a healthy church member or, or what it is to, to be the church. So I think it's that those two things of I need to equip through teaching, but I need to um, show them as well through through them imitating what I do. So I think those are two key aspects of of being an elder. Now, Tommy, again, you come back to one Timothy chapter four at the end of the chapter, verse sixteen. Uh, it says something to the effect of watch your life and your doctrine carefully. In other words, the elder or the leader, the, the teacher in the church, not only by what you say and by what you profess, but you need to practice what you preach. This is a, yeah. this is a dual role. Guys, we're going to go to a break now. Um, but listeners, uh, do stick with us. Uh, after a music break, we're going to come back and return to this conversation uh, and start to begin to unpack and talk of the qualities Uh, that elders need to bear, the the kinds of characteristics that they need to put on display as they go about their tasks. Uh, We're going to go to a music break and look forward to speaking to you soon. 
Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it is good to be back with you this morning. Friday 9 to 11 is the slot that is designated for Table Talk with Mark. And I am glad to be with you on the airwaves or the interwebways, however you are listening to us this morning. This is a pre-recorded show, so unfortunately today you can't send in your questions and answers. But what you can do is in the comments below the live stream on Facebook, you can say hi, you can put in your name, you can put in any comments or observations that you are making as we go through the show and as we speak to Tommy van der Velt and Johan Mosefell. And both are pastors and both are subject matter experts on the topic of biblical leadership i'm glad to have them with us i'm glad to be talking about this topic this is a topic of our day as over and over we hear of men who are disqualified from serving in the pastorate serving in the pastorate anyway and people just um just just submitting themselves to sometimes unbiblical leadership and so the topic of today's conversation is what is biblical leadership anyway uh, we were talking in the first part of the show about um, what biblical leadership is biblically and then we started to discuss um, the characteristics and the traits of biblical leaders. We're going to now really unpack in a little bit more detail the kinds of qualifications that we see in God's word around uh, biblical leaders and we're talking right now about elders in specific so leaders within the context of the local church in 1 timothy chapter 3 it says if you uh, i mean chapter 4 in 1 timothy chapter 3 it says that this saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to be an overseer he desires a noble work we discussed in the first part of the show how and desire to be a leader is so important in terms of embracing the role within the context of the local church it goes on to say that an overseer therefore must be above reproach above reproach what does that mean Tommy what does it mean to be above reproach above reproach so practically um, I think that uh, let's let's just say this that we are church leaders are, are mere men at best so they are not prophets they're not uh, holy men they're not sinless um, they are also sinners um, but like as I quoted D.A. Carson said that there's, there's a, a, a maturity in them spiritually that they would strive to holiness where people can follow them by example uh, to imitate them, as we said earlier, uh, to to holiness, to godliness. So I, th- I think uh, above reproach means that there's there are no evident characteristic faults that people can cling on to and, and drag them down, mm-hmm. um, but that they can clearly see that they're growing in holiness. Um, there's a, a godly character, so there's a striving towards these qualifications of I want to be this man. I want to be this man knowing that I'm, I'm, I'm reaching to these qualifications. I think a, a lot of people think that those qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus are, are boxes that need to be ticked. Oh, you this guy, you this, you this, you this. Okay, you're an elder. Um, which I think is dangerous because then a lot of people would see, okay, he just stepped out of that little box, so he's disqualified. I think we need to be careful about that to see to say that, those are qualifications that men strive towards, and you can see that they are characterized by those qualities. 
uh, or qualification. So I, th I think being above reproach is a big topic, but in short, I think it's a it's a godly character that people can see he strives towards being more like Christ. So, um, yeah, a godly character with uh, a strong leadership, but with uh, humility in serving um, and striving to be holy. So, yeah. We've seen this, uh, this above reproach uh, in terms of the way that it heads the list as really the summation of everything that comes after it mm. you know kind of mm. you know you 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 expect all of these qualifications to be met in one way or another uh, certainly the person's life journey needs to be characterized by what we see uh, in these lists both in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as well as in Titus chapter 1 but really this idea of blamelessness not perfection mm. um but mm. but being above reproach is an overarching qualification uh, and, and i guess the understanding that i've had i can't remember if i heard this in a sermon by MacArthur or someone else is the idea that mud gets slung at the men of god but nothing sticks because they are above reproach John, the, the next qualification that we talk about here is that he must be a husband of one wife what does that mean well, do we, do we start that point that an elder has to be married? Has to be the question as well. Great question. Um, yeah. Uh, Explain to us, brothers. We're so confused. I open that question to, to the listeners as well, that they can drop it in the comments. What do they think? But, but I, it's something we need to look at. Like when I got called to, to the church I'm serving at, I wasn't married. But taking the responsibility of being uh, the lead elder, <laughs> it's a little it's a little thing if you go to the qualifications and and they introduce me to the church and they read out he must be a husband of one wife but i'm not married yet uh, what what does that what does that look like is it acceptable and i like what tommy said earlier he said it's not boxes we have to tick and the moment we're looking for boxes to tick it would seem like hey, he's not there yet we shouldn't hire him until he gets married and and we, we can read into scripture in different ways. Was Paul married? Was Paul single? Where do we find Paul? Um, all all of, of, of those kinds of things. And, and I believe if we're going to tick the box of husband of one wife, we might lose guys who are, are great leaders that has the desire to lead God's church until they get married. That's and what yet, I... And yet the text does say a husband of one wife. And I guess the way that I've always seen that is that he must be a one-woman man. So yeah. if he's unmarried, uh, that he is celibate and he's known for his celibacy. Um, but if he's married, he is a one-woman man. This is not the kind of person who any kind of sordid details might come out for. Yeah. Tommy, I could see that you wanted to say something there, brother. Yeah, I, I, I was just going to say that the one woman man, so whether you are single or married, I don't, I don't think it talks about being married. I do think it talks about sexual purity. So are you flirtatious? Are you, uh, if you are single, if you're single, are you flirtatious? Are you kind of stringing women along the way? Are you, are you kind of putting feelers out to this one and then to this one and you kind of confusing women of where you're going with this relationship? Uh, or if you are married, uh, are you flirtatious? Are you, are you, are you not keeping to one wife? So I do think that that's what it refers to, that you're a one woman man. If you are married, you are devoted to your wife mm -hmm. and that that's the only wife. If you're not married, 
are you keeping yourself sexually pure? Tommy, um, you know, up until now, there's been at least two inferences to gender uh, in these two verses. The first one says, if anyone, which isn't really, which is gender neutral, I guess, aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work, which is definitely gender specific. And then later, the overseer therefore must be above reproach, the husband of one wife. Um, mm. it, it seems just, you know, in a cursory reading of these first two verses that the Bible has something to say about the gender of the people who would lead God's people in the role of elder. Uh, would you agree with that statement, disagree with that statement? And how would you motivate your answer either way? Yeah, so so I would I would definitely say yes to that. Um, I think the Lord, uh, again, going back to biblical theology, God created uh, man in his own image. He created uh, Adam first, and from Adam he created Eve. Um, I do think there's there's lots to say about that. That God gave certain instructions to Adam to take dominion, um, to look after the wife. Uh, even if you look at the the Abraham and all those guys that that the blessings or the covenants were were like uh, carried over through the males and as the women were married into the family that covenant was obviously given to them as well but through marriage so God has a, a specific task for the man um, we see that uh, Adam did not take dominion when uh, Satan tempted Eve um, he was standing with her, according to how I read the scriptures, and he didn't take dominion. He, he didn't lead his wife well. He didn't protect her. Um, so I think that's that's where that comes in, that elders should be male, uh, not to be authoritarian or to say that male the male species is, is more, um, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, higher in, in regard. Uh, but but it is for the safety of women. They are the weaker vessel, to use biblical terms, and we are appointed to take care of them. Um, I mean, we see in First Timothy uh, 2.12, um, where Paul says that, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So that's one text verse that I'm, I'm thinking of that even Paul says, um, you should not let women teach, not that they're not able to teach, but that the, the responsibility that God has on, or the, yeah, the authority and their responsibility on teaching is so great that men needs to step up um, and lead in that regard. Um, so that, that's why I would agree with that. And then Ephesians 5.22 where it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Um, so again, there's that that structure there that the Lord says, men, you need to man up, you need to lead, uh, not because you're better than women, but because we want to take care of women, um, spiritually and physically. So, John, I mean, I'm just reading this text again. It says the husband of one wife. Uh, and, and I guess I'm curious to know, like, how then do you deal with a man who's divorced, but who would like to serve uh, in church leadership, how would you deal uh, with with that scenario? Well, I would I would say that the grounds of divorce would have to be investigated. Number one, we'd have to see why the divorce took place. What happened? Was it uh, cheating, or were there other factors in play? 
And once we understand the investigate, after the investigation, obviously findings would be brought forward and we can then examine the elder's life or, or the, the male in, in question standing for leadership. We can examine his life because I believe there's, there's a characteristic that speaks about the, we should, the elder should be known by the community itself, if I can put it in, in that words. He should have a good reputation with outsiders. So we'd have to go examine his life see where he comes on the spectrum after divorce, where he stands. And, and I believe in there the can be hope for someone like that to stand again. I know there's guys who feel these guys will not stand again because they see things differently. But, but I do feel that there is hope if we've gone through every, if I can call it, if we've gone through the investigation and, and the findings seem pure. And this guy has, the motive for it that he might be a one woman man again. Do we give him a chance? I think I'd give him a chance. So, I mean, maybe to, uh, to present the other side, um, I had, I particularly amongst, amongst brothers who hold to a permanent view of marriage. Um, I've heard them read through the qualifications here, like being respectable, a man that maybe has lost respect can regain respect, a man who's lost self-control can regain self-control, a man who was at one time not hospitable can become hospitable, but the man who's been divorced can never undivorce. Um, and so I've heard that argument, and, and I do, I think it's a relatively compelling argument. Uh, I, I do take a one-woman view of the text myself, and so do believe that there are, there are, um, there, there, there's potential for, for restoration. Um, but I do think that that is a compelling biblical argument. Tommy, maybe you can have the, the last word in this topic and just uh, color in the lines and, and tell us if we've missed anything uh, as we've been thinking through it. On, on the one-woman man situation? Yes. And yeah. divorce, yeah, yeah, yeah. So divorce is a is a is a difficult situation because I always say there's he said she said and then there's the truth. Um, so I I agree. I would I would love to dig deeper into why, for instance, if the the wife cheated on the husband, why did she cheat on you? So a lot of people will jump and say, yeah, but he she left him and he had a biblical divorce. Again, I I don't I wouldn't say that. Um, that would be disqualifying. But again, how would he minister to the church? Remember, we, we said with people need to imitate him and above reproach. So he might not be disqualified, but I would be cautious in appointing an, a divorced man um, just for the sake of the congregation, uh, just for the sake of his own uh, dignity. In If someone brings that up again, uh, yeah, but you're divorced. How can you counsel me because you've done this, this, and the other? Um, might not be as fruitful, elder. Um, so there are different situations. I don't want to make a, a big stand on this, uh, but I would be cautious in welcoming a brother onto the eldership um, if there are some question marks behind his name. That would be my coloring in. Tommy, when we talk about the next few qualifications, uh, sensible, uh, sorry, self-controlled, sensible, and respectable. 
Mm-hmm. What are these doing in this list? Um, you know, wh- wh- why is the need for for Paul to even say that the man mm-hmm. must be self-controlled, sensible, and respectable? Um, uh, are, are these particular issues in ancient times, or are these particular issues through all of time? Um, and how do these become qualifications for church leadership? Yeah, good question. So again, I think it starts uh, these kind of like your using your words it's it's color coloring in uh what paul is saying here so i i think it it does undergird the whole thing of being exemplary uh, exemplify the the godly character of jesus again remember we under shepherds under jesus um and and the leaders should show people who jesus is so those being gentle self-control not qual- qual- quarrelsome not greedy again that shows people who jesus is um so it, it it is i think it's a at the heart these things um just being um i know i spoke to tyrell about this topic before just being this defender and this this um the hunter i think these are qualifications that that men particularly struggle with uh quarrelsome um and and so all those kind of things so i I do think paul talks about um a man's character that that he clearly fights uh that is kind of in him um that that he needs to 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 pursue in in not being quarrelsome or being self-controlled i I think self-control which is a a bigger discussion but i think that's the root of all all sin is the lack of self-control um, so if a man can't control himself in one aspect, in what other aspects is he, has he not been able to control himself? Mm. Um, so again, talking about gentleness, what was Jesus? He was gentle and lowly. He was, he was, um, compassionate. Um, and if you're going to reflect who Jesus was and his character, I think the self-control and gentleness talks, um, volumes in, in an elder's, uh, character. You know, when I when I think of self-controlled and sensible and respectable, I just think of the actual functional task that the elders go about. Uh, this idea of self-controlled is so important because people, the sheep bite <laughs> all the time. And so as a result, just this need to be able to control yourself uh, in the midst of often very difficult people um, relationships. Uh, is the kind of characteristic that you would want in an elder. The idea of sensible, I think, relating even to the word overseer, which we didn't really talk about, but we can talk about overseer, pastor, elder, maybe in the next segment of the show. Um, But this idea of of the overseer being a manager of sorts, uh, making decisions for the life, the positive life of the church, and and needing to be able to really judge and evaluate um, and weigh up what will be best in any given situation. Uh, It it would be key to the role that the person will be uh, performing. And then this idea of respectability, the, the idea of not just, you know, having having a guy who is not respected by the community, but a person who is upright in character, who is known by the community, who is respectable in every way. And and you would know people that have no respect and people that have respect and people who command respect, not because they demand it, but because, you know, by virtue of their conduct and their character, uh, the way that they, the way that they hold themselves are are respectable by nature. And these are the kinds of qualities that you need in those men who 
stand before the church um, and who guide God's people toward yeah. green pastures. Yeah, and, and just on that, Mark, I think a lot of people think that this self-control or, or all the, these qualities are, are just personal. Um, but again, what, what, it, what is one of the key aspects of an elder is he's, he's, he needs to be able to teach, right? So as he teaches the Word of God, these character qualities shouldn't distract the congregation from his, his preached Word. Mm. So I can preach all day long, but if I'm a dog outside of the pulpit, uh, people are just going to look at me and it's like, whoa, hang on a second, you talk, you, you're preaching about love, you're preaching about fighting your own sin, but didn't you just scream at the deacon at the door? Mm. Well, what is that all about? Mm. So I do think all these characters kind of underline to saying, guys, what you say in the pulpit, uh, your your life need to reflect that. And I'm just thinking of, of 1 Peter 5, um, where he says that you, you shouldn't have this lording over um, of, of, of people. Again, that whole self-control. It's so easy to use the pulpit as a becoming a like a pulpit bully. Uh, I, I want to tell you guys what you do wrong. I want to, but you need to control yourself. Like you said, she bite, and you you can't just address that from the pulpit saying, "Oh yeah, Peter did this to me, and he's doing this." And I mean, you need to control your tongue in the pulpit. Um, yeah, sure. sure. And Tommy has been talking about. Uh, teaching, he's brought it up now. He's brought up the pulpit. Um, the 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 list in one Timothy three goes on to talk about able to teach. This is a competency now, rather than a characteristic. Maybe you just want to pack out what this able to teach means and what it looks like in practice amongst elders uh, for a while. Yeah, thanks. That's 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 an interesting one. Able to teach, uh, it's a skill. Number one, to teach is it's a skill. Um, as much as we've been looking at character, the character of an elder, now we see a skill come in. Uh, you need to be able to teach. But, but what I would like to say on that point is I believe every elder has to have a little bit of a, a little understanding of apologetics because teaching would be feeding the flock at one way they're receiving good news, if I can call it that. But at the same time, we also need to protect or guard the flock through our teaching in pointing out what is error. If there are wolves in among us through teaching, people will understand what false looks like. Um, I believe that the more we teach the truth, the more people will be able to identify the false. And that's why I believe an elder should have a basic understanding of apologetics, how to defend their faith. Even though they've maybe not gone to seminary, I believe that if there is a full-time elder on staff, he should take it on himself to train others to see the importance to defend the faith and how to equally teach the people, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really does, stuff. John. Uh, when it comes to um, opportunities to teach, are, are we then saying that elders should share the pulpit uh, equally amongst themselves? Or is there a case to be made for um, particular elders, teaching elders or, you know, designated elders uh, to serve in a preaching role and other elders, possibly the lay elders, to have a less frequent role? Um, it says you're able to teach. How should men actually be exercising this duty within the context of a local church? Yeah? We, can, we can look at teaching 
from the pulpit as one we can look at teaching in life groups as another but we can also look at teaching from our lives as examples as well um if because we we started with an exemplary life mm. so that that's an aspect of teaching is to love a certain way so if Im- people imitate me they are closer to Jesus Christ if i can call it that and when we look at again able to teach in that way when you speak about as an eldership team how would it look like in in preaching from the pulpit in in terms of that i would say that there are guys who are gifted in in teaching more so than others when it comes to the pulpit the guy who gets paid sometimes preaches more than the guys who don't get paid so i would work on 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 a roster basis and we all give input into the the series as well in saying what can we do preach to one another as elders as well before we preach to the flock so we have a good solid theological understanding when we go to the to the church you know this this topic of preaching is so important this topic of teaching and the elders being involved in teaching is so important that i i want to come back to it after the break but for now what we're going to do is we're going to go to another song break uh, when we come back we will continue just very briefly wrapping up the qualifications of elders and then i want us to start talking beyond teaching about some of the other functional um roles that elders play uh, including the shepherding uh, of the flock uh, and oversight and you know how elders make decisions and what that looks like uh, we're going to go to break now listeners looking forward to chatting more to both Tommy and Juan when we come back please do stay with us Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it's good to be with you this Friday morning with Table Talk with Mark Penrith between 9 and 11. This morning we are doing a pre-recorded show, which means unfortunately you can't send in questions and answers that we can answer live on air. But I am trying to ask as many compelling questions from my guests, Tommy and Juan, as possible. They are talking on the topic of biblical leadership and right now we are talking about elders in particular uh, both Tommy and Yuan uh, serve a local church as elders and both are involved in terms of the discussion at, of eldership uh, Tommy in terms of an organization which promotes biblical eldership and leadership uh, in terms of one of its uh, key marks of a healthy church church and Juan is currently doing his master's degree on the topic of biblical eldership. And so we are joined this morning by two subject matter experts on the topic. Tommy, as we left the last hour of the show, we were talking about the qualificational requirement of elders being able to teach. Uh, and I just want to give you the opportunity just to talk of this teaching role of elders as well, because I do believe that it is so important uh, in our current uh, environment. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the teaching role of elders? Yeah, and, and again, Mark, I, it, it comes back to the whole thing that we started off with. Uh, again, how did God create it? The world is through His Word. You see in John 1 that Jesus is the Word. He left the Word behind for us to be instructed to. Um, so God leads His people uh, through His Word. And as we said, that uh, shepherds are under shepherds of the shepherd, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus led through the word, we need to lead through the word. So uh, we can't lead the people without God's word. And we do that through the preaching of the word. Uh, So it is vitally important. 
Um, maybe just to wrap up the discussion before of who who is going to preach. I do think in First Timothy five uh, verses. Uh, 17 it says let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching for the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages so i i read that as someone that's permanently employed specifically with the task of teaching so that you go into the the, the topic of lay elders or full-time elders but I do think that there would be an elder or two elders would, that would take um, the brunt of the preaching responsibility. Um, they, they preach more than the other elders. Um, I think that the teaching, preaching, slash teaching, yeah, it can be involved in, in counseling and that. But I do think the preaching aspect would be shouldered by one or two other permanently employed elders. Not that the other elders can't preach, maybe an evening service or a devotional, but uh, I think there would be one leader amongst leader leaders, even if you look at Peter. He was the apostle. I mean, it's Peter, James, and John. Uh, they always go with Jesus is somewhere like the Mount of Transfiguration in the Garden of Gethsemane. It was those three above the other, other um, what was it, nine uh, apostles uh, or disciples. Good, that good, was my right. math, not my theology. So. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> I mean, you do see that in the book of Acts. Uh, on the day yeah. of Pentecost, when the Spirit falls and the men stand, um, it is Peter from amongst them that then brings forth that, that first great sermon by which 3,000 are saved. And then yeah. as you follow the story of Peter and John primarily, in terms of that, that combination uh, in the early church in the first, what, nine chapters, over and over yeah. again, it's Peter that leads in the preaching. And then after Peter, you have Paul and Barnabas, and again, you have Paul that leads in the preaching. Um, and Kelly is a gifted man as he's called to the church in I'm going with Antioch in Syria um, in terms of his distinctive teaching gift. That said, what's worked really well at Crystal Park has been um, a shared pulpit. Uh, I, I believe in a shared pulpit. I don't believe um, that it's healthy for the church to only have one individual who has not just the lion's share, but the only share uh, of mm -hmm. teaching from God's word, just like the eldership is a plurality, and I'm sure we'll get to that shortly. Um, but so too, I, I, I want to demonstrate that plurality in the, in, in the pulpit. And so over the last 11 years, I, I've preached maybe on average 60% of the sermons on any given Sunday, and the rest of the preaching time has been divided between the other up to four elders um, on a rotational basis and on a rusted basis. Um, also, taking into consideration that some men are peculiarly gifted. And so, for instance, when Gideon and Penny, who now serves at Florida Baptist Church, was with us, he would take the lion's share of the remaining um, portion uh, of the preaching. Uh, the same would be true of Etienne de Toy, who is now the senior pastor at Crystal Park Baptist Church as of uh, last night uh, at this recording. Um, he would take the lion's share of the remaining portion uh, of the preaching just because his gifting is so peculiar um, and his dedication to the to the to, to preaching is so important but the rest of the elders had opportunity to preach and it was very important that they did 
Um, with one exception, one man didn't feel that his primary teaching calling was preaching. Uh, and so he asked to be excluded from the preaching roster, but he fulfilled his teaching responsibilities in other ways uh, in the life of the church, whether that be uh, teaching on a Sunday morning as part of the worship uh, set. He was a very, is a very gifted uh, worship leader uh, or in other ways. Guys, um, yeah, just as we go through these qualifications, some you've already spoken about, um, uh, Tommy, in, t in terms of gentleness and not quarrelsome, um, as well as not greedy. Uh, I just want to go back one and just talk about alcohol for a second. It says not an excessive drinker. What on earth does that mean, Juan? That's the first negative qualification in 1 Timothy chapter 3. The first negative qualification we see. Um, John Stott puts it like this and he says, alcohol is a depressant. It blunts out and blurs our faculty of judgment. Seeing we should be people that have self-control, we should be, as, as elders also, you lead out. And, and I know there's, there's guys on different sides of the spectrum here. There's guys who can control having one beer and, and still lead the church. And there's guys who one beer is a stumbling block. And, and the word speaks of not a drunkard. For some people, one beer or one glass of wine can intoxicate them. And, and for others, where do we draw the limit? Or where do we draw the line? It says, must not be a drunkard. And if we read, I think Paul writes about we should be uh, not drunk on wine, but drunk, if I'm correct, on the spirit. And filled with the spirit, yeah. Filled with the spirit, yeah. Sorry about that. Um, just That's now we all go home. We all go home and say, we are drunk of the spirit in the church. Let's just correct theology here. <laughs> so, so yeah, not being a drunkard is also culturally things are different with, within, our, within our, our country. We have different cultures that view things differently. Whereas if, if I am seen in my culture with a beer, that would disqualify me. Whereas in, a, in another culture, it's, it's quite fine. But... The qualification is it should not be a drunkard. Are we going to have um, extremes when we hold to these scriptures saying you must be a total abstainer? Is that what the scripture is saying there or is the scripture just saying you must not get drunk? And that's how we need to look at it is not put in things that we don't see there. Now, Juan, you sound a little bit like a politician here, in that you've given us all the options, but I'm not 100% sure you've nailed down your own colors to the mask. What I'm going to do is I'm going to ask Tommy to give a little bit of perspective, and uh, and maybe I'll cut in at the end, um, and we'll move on to the family-related qualifications. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I do believe that it's um, an elder needs to be cautious um, not to make people in the church stumble uh, when they do drink um, um, but Paul writes and he says take some for the your stomach ailment uh, take some wine for your stomach ailment ailment so I do believe that there are there are some freedoms in in partaking or um, using alcohol um, we've had a long conversation as elders at Brackenhurst Baptist Church um, first, coming from a fundamental background, uh, abstaining completely, and um, but later on we we talked through this and saying, well, our members do drink, uh, but who's teaching them how to responsibly drink alcohol? 
And again, how again the appointment of the elders is to imitate, right? So we need to imitate and showing them how to drink responsibly. Some of the elders do, some of us don't. Um, so I think it's a it's a prudence thing, uh, but I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I I, I think the the emphasis there is to, not being drunkards. Uh, again, a character quality. Um, so that's where my colors are. Yeah. You wanna, yeah. Hey, look, I, I mean, I think the scripture is absolutely clear. We are we are not to have men serving as elders who are known as drunkards. The guy that spends his time, his effort, his energies, uh, his love, and his uh, affections at the local pub uh, is not going to serve God's people well as an elder. Um, and he wouldn't have self-control, right? Play of self-control. Uh, I don't think that this is talking about a prohibition against drinking, um, but it certainly is talking in terms of of um, of uh, quantitative drinking. Uh, you 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 can't be an an alcoholic or a drunkard or or known as a person uh, who spends his time at the bottom of a bottle uh, and serve God's people. I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, managing his own household well. What does that actually mean? Um, Juan, uh, he's to manage his own household well, um, and in another place, his children under control with all dignity. Why are these family-related qualifications here anyway, um, and what do they look like in practice? Well, Mark, seeing managing the household, there's always been this saying that if you can't manage your household, you can't manage the household of God. It's, I've always heard that. And I've always wondered, what, is, what does that mean? What does it look like? So if my children are out of line, which I don't have yet. So if my children are out of line and I can't discipline them, how would I discipline God's children as an under shepherd leading God's church? How would I discipline if they throw mud at me and it sticks that Ewan's household is in a mess? He can't even run his own household. That disqualifies me to lead him. Um, the church. And the funny thing is the word manage there would mean to guide, lead and direct. And it comes back to the whole headship thing of the male taking the role to lead their household. He should provide guidance. He should provide leadership and he should also direct which path we go on. And that all comes from the male being the, the head of the house. And yeah, that's it. If you can't manage your household, I believe you won't manage God's house effectively so when we are looking for an elder we need to go see how this individual is managing his household mm. uh, and i guess it does talk to the communal nature not just of the elder but also of the uh of the of the team the, the bottom line is this guy must be known um, by the church and certainly by the other elders in, in order for this kind of evaluation this uh, this qualitative evaluation to be made in terms of his life and um, Tommy it says that he mustn't be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil and um, does that mean that a young man under the age of 45 can't serve as an elder yeah uh, no no, it doesn't mean, or no, he can't, or no, something else. <laughs> and well, I was just asking the question in human, because I'm now so over I, the age of 45, so I make... I make 45, bro. <laughs> <laughs> getting old, brother, getting old. 
Yeah, so so I think, um, I mean, I know recent converts that are 75 years old. Yes. Um, so Paul's not speaking about age here. I think it's maturity in, in, his, in his faith. So I, I know of a 28-year-old that's got a, a, a wisdom brain of a 40-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, he's serving with us on the eldership, and it's a blessing for us to have him there. Um, but I do think the whole thing of being a, a, a new convert um, and that he would not, not different translations here, uh, fall into disgrace or into the snare of the devil, which means the, the devil got puffed up, right? He, he suffered from pride to be like Christ. So if you're going to put a, a, a new believer, a young child in the faith, in a leadership position, he might get puffed up. He might get prideful, filled with pride, um, and then fall. Um, a lack of self-control, a lack of humility, uh, that all underlines like the, the qualifications of an elder. So I do believe that he talks about um, young in, in faith. Um, again, Paul writes to Timothy and says, don't let them despise your youth. So obviously, Timothy was a younger man. Um, and I, so I don't think it's the age thing here. It's the it's the, the amount of years that you've been saved that I think Paul is, or that I am convicted that Paul is talking and addressing here. So a young man can still be an elder. I think there's prudence not appointing a younger man with not a lot of life experience, but that's prudence. It's not biblical. Um, I think that that's to be decided by the eldership. Uh, but I do think he's talking about young believers. Hey, I just think of some of the the young men that I know who are excellent and who I truly believe are going to make either wonderful pastors or wonderful elders one day. And uh, I certainly am encouraging them in that direction. Um, but as I think of them, uh, I don't just think of them in terms of qualified to serve or disqualified to serve. I also think of them in terms of sometimes underqualified right now to serve. In other words, just get a few more years under your belt, you know, a, a, a few more kilometers tread on your tires. <laughs> um, yeah. you, you know, just, just a little bit more life experience. For some of them, it's like, actually, I, I think you should get married because because in truth, I, I, you, you need just a little bit of grounding. You, you need a wife next to you who can temper you uh, or who can rein you in when you need to be reined in and, and be your counsel and, and, and be your helpmeet. Um, for other men, it's, you know, I, I think you, you need a couple of years of on-the-job experience before you come into the pastorate. Because pastoring isn't easy and it requires such a multitude of disciplines in order to yeah. do it well. Um, and I think that you'd be best, you'd best get that, you know, in the work environment, whether yeah. it be HR skills or finance skills or management skills or leadership skills or whatever it might be. Um, just, you know, work for a bit and uh, and then come into the pastorate a bit later. So sometimes it's not a matter of qualified or disqualified. Sometimes it's just a matter of, hey, man, I think you're a little bit underqualified right now. Give it another yeah. year or two or three yeah. or five. Um, yeah. Sure. I mean, oh, yeah, sure, Tommy. No, I'm just saying that I think, and we'll talk about this later about raising up leaders, but at the moment I've identified two, I wouldn't even call them men, maybe, um, a 16 and a, a 15 and a 17 year old and in our young people's youth group that mm-hmm. I've, I'm really starting to invest. 
I mean, they are half the age which I would be happy with appointing an elder. Sure. But I mean, I need to I need to invest in them because I see some character qualities that we can hone and we can appoint them earlier if they if they do um, qualify. Yeah. So guys, we've spoken about the qualifications of eldership. I, I, I want us to shift gears just a little bit now. We, we've been talking in terms of the word elder over and over again. And yet 1 Timothy chapter 3 is actually talking about overseers. Um, it's talking about uh, episcopos, right? Um, mm. Where we get the Episcopalian church from. The Anglican church derives their name from episcopos. Um, whereas we've been talking about elders, presbyteros, the, where the Presbyterians actually get their name from. I did say Anglicans first time, right? And presbyteros is the Presbyterians. Um, well, why is it that when we're talking, Juan, we talk about pastor, elder, and overseer entirely interchangeably? Um, what's motivating our thinking behind that? Because I think we're all, all three of us here are on the same page regarding this. Um, but I'd love to hear you answer it on behalf of the hearers. Yeah, give you and the hard questions and the rest will just deal with other things. Well, seeing we all on on the same page around us. We use it interchangeably because when we study the words in the Greek, they all lean to church leadership position. Okay. Um, that's 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 it in, in a nutshell, it's just functioning or using the word in, in, in a different way, shepherding, where Peter will speak about shepherding. If we can look at it, shepherding can be a noun, we can go as a as a verb, I'm doing something about it. But yeah. They are so interchangeable that I can say um, Peter writing, I mean, Tim, Tim, Paul writing to Timothy as overseers, as that's a bishop. And now when you say that in other circles, people are like, hey, that's guys, he's, he's at the top. Whereas all these words are just words used for church leaders, mm. if we truly study correctly. Okay. Uh, Tommy, anything to add there in terms of what Joan said? Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I, th I think it's uh, you use it interchangeably because going back to the qualifications, I do think elders, um, uh, shepherds, and overseers um, almost goes and drills a little bit deeper uh, in the character qualities of of a of an elder. So if you think of elders, um, go Genesis fifty verse seven, referring to the Egyptian elders. Exodus 3.16, referring to the Jewish elders, and especially in our African culture, it, you know that the elders of a tribe. So it talks about leaders, it talks about people with wisdom that you would go to and ask for, for, for advice uh, in the local community. Um, but then you get shepherds. So if you look at um, uh, John 21.15-17, it's, it's more like a pastor. So a shepherd cares for the sheep. He he leads them to green pastures. He 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 looks after them. So elder respect, counsel, shepherd uh, leading, feeding, and then the oversight is like you said the the uh, the bishop, First Timothy three, Titus one, um, and this is more like looking over, taking care uh, over all of them. Um, so I do think it those three words uh, talks about further character qualities or the the role or the function that elders play just to mm -hmm. add to what you answer. yeah yeah i i like that uh, i i think of the bible using these words interchangeably itself uh, i think of acts chapter 20 um mm -hmm. paul calls for the elders 
of Ephesus. Yeah. Uh, he then tells them that they must overseer uh, and they must shepherd the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Um, 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 1 and 2, again uses the words interchangeably. Uh, and you are right, John, in terms of its use, in terms of uh, verbs for shepherd uh, and nouns for, I think, overseer and, uh, and elder. But these different terms show ministerial function rather than differing levels of authority um, because of the interchangeable nature of them uh, in Scripture. Um, with that in mind, uh, we, we then come to, well then, functionally, <laughs> what do these guys do? <laughs> what do they do Monday to Friday, or Monday to Sunday, should I rather say, uh, in, in terms of effect? But, but I, I just even realized as I asked that question, I, I used the plural. I said, what do these guys do? Because I'm presupposing a plurality of eldership. And that's something that I want us to talk about because it is so important in South Africa. Over and over again, we see these strong men churches where one guy really rules the roost um, and everyone is subservient to him in ridiculous ways uh, with a kind of a false distinction between clergy and laity. Um, but when it comes to the elders, we see something different in Scripture. We, we see a plurality of men, men that are held mutually accountable to one another. Now, I've kind of already laid it out. I, I know where both of you sit in terms of this. Maybe you just want to flesh out what I've said in ways that the listeners will understand. Uh, Tommy, let's let's start with you, Juan, if you pick up after Tommy. Yeah, so I, I think because um, I've had the argument, I've been publicly rebuked when I taught on this. Um, that I'm lying. So I just want to undergird it with Bible, uh, that you do find the plurality of elders in the Bible. Um, I mean, elders are found among churches in Judea and the surrounding areas. Um, you see that elders govern the church in Acts 15. Um, and then Paul also writes to the churches uh, and he addresses the elders in each church. Uh, planted in Derby, Lystra, Iconia, um, Antioch, and Acts 15, Ephesus, Acts 20. Um, and then uh, we see the same in 1 Thessalonians 5.12 and Rome, uh, where he talks about in Hebrews 13, he talks about one church, but a plurality of elders. Um, so, so you do have that. Um, Paul writes to Timothy, instructing him um, to, to take care of the church leadership and appoint elders in the church. Um, so, so that is the biblical uh, pattern that you, you have more than one elder in the church. Um, just practically, I think it's wise. Um, just going back to the qualifications, I think it's wise if you have more than one elder to hold each other accountable um, and just help each other um, strive towards these qualifications, um, but also to, to share the load. Um, if I had to counsel all the situations in my church, I would literally burn out. So there, there's a there's a wisdom in, in sharing the responsibility because it's a weighty responsibility. Um, then also you have different giftings, as we said earlier. Some can preach, some is great in counseling, some are great in, in raising new leaders or discipling. Um, so you have different giftings, you've got prayer, you've got all of that. So I think those three for me would be practically the three most important ones is the accountability, uh, the sharing of responsibility, 
Um, and I forgot the last one. Um, different giftings. <laughs> yeah, I, was about to, I was about to come in and, and say different giftings because I thought that that was an excellent point. Um, yeah. a, a really, really good point that we complement one another. I think yeah. the men that I've served alongside um, and just the diversity. So, um, you know, at different times, uh, we've, we've, we've been two elders, um, but more often than not, we've been four or five elders serving together uh, in a team. Um, and, and you just see how God brings in men of excellence, but also men that really complement one another and, and raise one another up um, in terms of shortfalls. Juan, anything to add uh, in terms of uh, the plurality of elders, the importance of the plurality of elders, and what should churches do if they don't have a plurality of elders? What should be the stopgap? Well, um, I like the... The points Tommy mentioned, the balance, the wisdom. I was thinking of saying those things. And when Tommy went on, I was like, oh, what am I going to answer now? But <laughs> it's because most of us read the same book, so we come to the same conclusions. This is, this is something I always say when we speak about plurality of elders is um, we love sport. Whether it be football, whether it or soccer, whether it be rugby, it's, it's a sport-driven team. Even if you watch Formula One like me, you would realize that it's still a sport-driven team as much as you follow Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen and you see these guys are getting all the trophies. But behind the scenes, there are a thousand engineers sitting in, in Brackley studying every sensor of the car, feeding information to another guy who then feeds the information to the driver. And as much as we see it as that's one guy doing something uh, as much as we see it's one guy doing something, we, we always find that there's always a team behind that. And that team is what wins. It's not the individual. We can't have a one-man band. We'll burn out as pastors. I don't think in, in a soccer club, the team would thrive if we only have strikers. We need midfielders who pass the strikers the ball. Yeah, And, and that's where complementarianism comes in with among the elders and that's why plurality is important ah very very well made point thank you thank you john guys uh, who are listening in on radio pulpit and on radio cape pulpit we are going to go to another music uh, interlude um, and when we come back we're going to continue this discussion for the final half an hour with tommy van der Volt along with John around biblical eldership. So looking forward uh, to the last part of our discussion. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you for the last half an hour of the show. We are listening to Tommy van Volt along with Jean Mosafel talking about biblical leadership. They've been talking about it since nine o'clock. We're now in the last half an hour of the show. We've got some exciting ends to the topic to talk about we're going to be talking about what elders actually do functionally what is their role uh, and then we are also going to talk about how we can raise up elders within the context of our local churches for those of you who are listening in who aspire to be an elder this will be a great opportunity to hear the kinds of tracks that you might want to go through um, as the lord uh, moves you towards serving in your local church john I'd love to bring you in here and just talk about functionally, what do elders do? How do they do it? When do they do it? Where do they do it? I mean, do they have to do anything? 
can they just be a decision-making buddy that meets once a month for like a couple of hours and decides whether or not the the church has one or two ply toilet paper or, or does it need to be more engaged than that what do elders do brother i would love if it's so easy just to decide about two ply paper which brand we use that would be a great job but we've seen the the qualification of an elder and we can tick those boxes as listeners saying maybe this is what we need to look for in our church but what does that person do for the rest of the for the rest of the term they serve what does it look like when we look at it we spoke about the elder needs to be able to teach so we can see that teaching would become one of the functions when we look at the word shepherd i like using the word shepherd and our shepherd would look after the flock learning from the chief shepherd jesus christ in psalm 23 he provides for us he leads us beside still waters and my cup overflows because of jesus christ and that's just in a nutshell but does an elder have to do it that way when we look at shepherding the elder must protect the flock the elder must feed the shepherd or the elder sorry the shepherd must feed the flock and those two i feel go hand in hand as i feed you i can also protect when the wolves come in and that we've seen earlier in the show we spoke around that around that subject around teaching so that would be one element I believe the elder needs to look at. I can also add under that umbrella the equipping the saints for ministry. In, in what ways we equip, uh, uh, there's various ways in different ministries how we go about it. And that's the elder's responsibility when I look around the word teaching. It would be to protect, it would be to equip, and it would be to feed the flock. So you can tick that one and then we can move to another one is that the elder has to care. James speaks about call in the elders, plural again, not just one to come lay hands, but call in the elders. And now the elders come in and the elders lay hands on the sick. It doesn't mean that when the elders lay hands on the sick, the person will be healed instantly because the elders came to pray. But the elders' responsibility is to come in and lay their hands on the sick. That is the elder caring for the sheep. That is one of the elders' primary responsibilities is to look after the flock God has entrusted them with, to care for them, to listen to their needs, to see where somebody needs help. And now that then leads into the next point of the elder where we spoke about the bishop, the oversight. The elder has to provide vision for the organization. How is the church going forward? How are we going to get there? What steps do we put in place? That's the administrative side as well of things. So how do we reach our goal? The elder provides oversight. The elder provides leadership. The elder provides vision for the organization to move forward. I know there's one I'm missing and I just can't get to it at the top of my head right now. But I do know that they care, they protect, and that they do in teaching. Then um, I know this is the subject we're still going to speak about as well, but I do believe elders disciple elders and then the elders go out and disciple the rest of the flock. And I believe that's a key element we need to see in our elderships today is that they are discipling one another and they are discipling others. And by that, they are leading by example. That's the one I was looking for. The elder needs to be an example in his life. John, if you thought through the various different, the various different functions that you've described now, 
where do you think uh, and where do you see that that elder teams often fall short where's the where's the main weak spots in terms of of what they do or what they fail to do personal experience rather than speaking generally i i feel we we fail sometimes in in the aspect of the care side of things it's easy to preach it's easy to give vision they just need to get on board and let's move but sometimes to be there, um, the hospital visitation, hey man, I'm the preaching elder. There has to be somebody else. And sometimes we're so busy getting caught up in how we take in the organization forward that we forget to measure the health of the flock. Mm. You know, uh, to be honest with you, you said from personal experience, but again, from my own personal experience, I would say that that is often a, a weak spot. And it's because shepherding and care takes up so much time. And so if you've got an elder team that's made up and constituted primarily of lay elders, these are guys that have got jobs. These are guys that have got, you know, family and lives and um, things are happening. Where does one find the time to do the kinds of shepherding that's required um, to really edify the members of the church? And, and I, I have seen in, in my own ministry um, that this is often a casualty of the busyness of the 21st century um, and, and maybe the reality is uh, our kinds of churches which are given to study and are given to books and are given to teaching um, for us the teaching side of, of eldership comes naturally um, but the shepherding side in a environment in a world which is quite individualistic this is an area that we struggle with Tommy anything to add there just in terms of either what what functionally elders do or what elders really often in your perspective struggle to do, knowing that you've actually engaged with many men that represent hundreds of churches in South Africa and abroad. Um, where, where do guys often find a struggle? Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. I think a lot of people just thinking through, again, the qualifications, I think a lot of churches just look for men that are able to teach. Uh, and completely neglect the shepherding and the character of it. Um, speaking out of personal experience on unhealthy churches, if you're a good businessman, you're an elder. Um, if you're a if you're a, a leader, you're an elder. It's like no, guys, come on. Um, but then they go to the. You're an elder. Yeah. Say again. Naturally charismatic. You're an elder. Yeah. 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 So and then they go to the other side which is also it's like okay he's able to teach you're an elder um and i think there's a, a big big misunderstanding in in actually the the characters first of all but also just the shepherding of it um i mean if you look at jesus he taught through the way he was living and speaking so it's a it's a both and and i think there's a there's a big element where people where elders only teach which again one of my other favorite topics is uh, just the consumeristic element of the church these days. It's because the, the members are used to, I'm just coming to hear the word preached and then leave me alone. I'm going home again. Instead of, no, we need to create body life. We need to create a family. Um, so, so elders are neglecting that. Um, not just the hospital visits, but actually helping sheep to see that we're part of a community of faith. We're not individualistic. It's not about that. We we need to create it. And that's why I always quote Ephesians 4.12 where it says we need to help 
and equip the church for the ministry. Um, it's not on the elders. Um, so that, that's what I would say and what I've seen. Um, but I love this quote from William Still. He once put it this way. He says, the chief task of a shepherd is to prepare the sheep for sacrifice. Sure. So that is an elder's responsibility is to leave the, lead the flock uh, to so love Christ that they offer their lives to him as a living sacrifice, which is Romans 12, 1 to 2. So that's our job, is to help and prepare the sheep for sacrifice. Now, Tommy, just a, a word uh, from like experience and from the school of hard knocks. Um, mm. I, I would say this, um, brothers, do not be too hasty in the, in the laying on of hands. Um, mm. In other words, it's true, local churches need a plurality of elders. But that doesn't mean that you should rush into just laying on of hands of anyone who'd be willing to serve as an elder. I would say go slow, take it slow, look for those character qualifications that we spoke about uh, in the second part of the, sh of the show. Make sure that a person is well qualified, not just, not just qualified, but, but well qualified, that, that they are the package deal, that they do have a blameless walk, that they are above repute. And then, also, make sure that they're serving in the role that you recognize them in. I think all too often, we recognize people into the role we want them to serve in. We recognize their potential to serve. Um, and then we place people into roles that in actual fact, <laughs> they do nothing in. Um, and that's actually a danger to the church. Because then the church has an a person who's been lifted up as an example before them, but in actual fact, they're not doing anything. And so they're a bad, they're a rotten example um, because they then think that, you know, um, an elder is a title. When in actual fact, elder isn't a title. Elder is a verb. That's <laughs> something you do. Um, you know, pastoring is a verb. It's something that you do. And I, I get that it is a that it is a title, that there's a formal office for elders. But my, my advice to any listeners that are going through this process or seriously thinking about appointing elders is appoint people who are already performing the task uh, that they might be recognized in the task which they are currently performing to God's praise and glory. Which means you want to see people that are already shepherding, that are already teaching, and that are already exercising some degree of oversight within the context of the local church. John, we're about to move into a, into another topic, but is there anything that you want to say in closing just uh, in, in terms of... Um, of this this current topic in terms of what elders do well in terms of what elders do like i've said earlier if we just conclude it and we land the plane on on its wheels not leaning to one side is that it's not an overnight process and we have to go slow not fast we need to think it through and we need to pray that when god brings these leaders to us that we look for all the qualities that are in the Bible. Let's not say, oh, let's overlook this one and give the guy a chance. It will bite us down the line. And what the elder does, let's put that forward and say, this is what we're looking for in character. And this is what he does. Do we have able men to do this? Excellent. Well, Jean, um, uh, just maybe you can give us a, a start here. Um, as we talk about how on earth then do we go about finding 
these men? How do we go about raising up men like this, uh, that this church might be well served? Where do we start? What, what do we do? What, what is your studies and your, your master's thesis? Where, where have you arrived in terms of where these guys can be found? Well, I don't, I don't have the blueprint. I'd, li- I'd like to own the blueprint to this, but I don't. And, and it's simple. It all starts with life on life discipleship. If we're looking for leaders, if you see potential in, in somebody, and I like um, Tommy said earlier, he saw potential in a 15-year-old and a 17-year-old, but it doesn't mean they're going to be leaders immediately. There's a journey that, that, that happens there, and, and it's a life-on-life discipleship process. Um, it's inviting those guys into my life to see what I do, how I do things, imitate me. If I'm a great elder, let's call it that, if I'm a great elder and they imitate me, they should be great elders. But unfortunately, in, in, in the world we live in, life happens and, and, and things happen. But when we're looking for potential elders, now that we know what they look like, doesn't matter what their age is or where they find themselves, when we find them, what we need to do with them is take them on a journey. The journey is not instant because we live in an instant world where I put microwave in the popcorn in, in the I put popcorn in the microwave and in two minutes I have popcorn or in two minutes I have noodles or in one minute I have oats in five minutes I cannot have an elder it might take years yeah. of this journey but I must be willing to go slow and invite them into my life so they can see what I do experience what I go through and we can journey through the word and some great books that's been written by good scholars together. Yeah, I think that's, that's brilliant, John. And I, I love your emphasis on time. Um, I know the first elder at Crystal Park Baptist Church back in the day, um, he moved into the area and him and I would go for a walk every single evening for two years. Um, and over that time, he went through systematic theology and he went through a Bible read and he went through nine marks of a healthy church and he went through some other material. But we also spent two years every single evening going for a walk together, talking about the church and talking about philosophy of ministry and the things of ministry. And that that time, that that, that journey, that 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 journey together uh, was so important for us. Tommy, uh, how do we go about raising elders? Uh, I, I think, well, let me quote a good friend of mine. Um, he said, part of my responsibility is to send younger pastors into the land that I cannot go the future um so that that's one thing that i think a lot of leaders in the church um they don't think about Uh, they kind of subconsciously think that they're going to live forever Mm. um and and that's the danger i think we need to always adopt the posture of looking out to say okay hang on i might be here next year i might be gone in five years ten years I, i don't know where i will be um, so I need to, again, it, it, it flows from the love for the church. I don't want this church to be with any elders. So I need to start looking. So adopt that posture of, of looking. Um, and then I would concur what you guys have been talking about, just spending personal time with people or with men, young, old. Um, encourage younger men to, to read um, and invest time in their, in their, um, yeah, invest your time in their lives. Um, so that, that's one thing, um, that you'll have to just 
take some time out of your personal busy schedule um, and, and invest in them. And then a big thing, and that's where the qualifications again comes in, is humility. So you need to, to uh, be prepared to, um, to trust others, to, to delegate, to say, you know what, yeah, well, let's give you an opportunity to preach. Let's see if you've got the ability to teach. Um, and you might crash and burn, but hey, now we know you're not able to teach. Um, so I think that that plays a, a, a big part in, in just humility of the, the elders in saying, hey, let's, let's give this guy a go. Uh, so practically uh, creating um, opportunities uh, for, for people to, for men to express uh, their gifting. Um, and then also delegate some responsibilities, uh, knowing that, listen, yeah, I can't lead the Bible study tonight. Why don't you? So creating opportunity, but also delegate some responsibilities with people that are maturing and that you've been walking the road with, obviously. Mm. Um, and then don't let any opportunity go past, uh, but always, and that's the same friend that I'm talking about, that he's always taking someone with him. So if he goes to a conference, he's taking someone with him. If he goes on counseling, he takes someone with him. If he goes to a hospital visit, he takes someone with him. If he needs to go to the grocery store, there's a discipling relationship. So buy out the time that was given to you. Um, so so that's a, that's a big thing. Um, and then, again, this friend, um, he encourages hey, people. about Mark Dever here. Because, because I've seen some of those traits that you've described right now uh, in that brother. Or you talking well, about someone else? Several of them. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, in encourage feedback. So, if, if I'm going to preach, uh, speak into my life. Tell me where I'm, I'm doing well. Which then the younger guys, that if I speak into their lives about where they need to correct their preaching or teaching or shepherding, that they would encourage that because I've exemplified that. Um, so, so that's, that's a few things that I would, would, um, um, yeah, name or call out, uh, to, to say prioritize that. Mm -hmm. Um, and then obviously just pray for God to raise elders, uh, pray for, for gifted men to, to, to step up. Uh, we, I think we under, underestimate the power of prayer. So we need to pray for them. Um, and then again, just equip them, go through books, uh, train them, uh, be an example, um, and then give uh, plenty of opportunities to, um, to these guys uh, to, to raise. Tommy, I, I want to really lift up just a couple of the things that you've said. Um, the one is giving opportunities to people, and that can be done in so many ways. One, one is a pulpit and sharing the pulpit uh, with people in your church that you believe are up and coming. Uh, another way uh, is by allowing you know young men or potential elders to lead communion on a Sunday rather than yourself lead communion, giving them an opportunity to teach in that five-minute slot rather than in a 45-minute slot. Another way certainly would be to get potential elders involved in Sunday school, in youth ministry, uh, in young adults, uh, in Bible studies. You know, don't teach every Bible study. In fact, at Crystal Park, I, invariably, I try not teach the Bible studies, but have the Barnabas or the, the person that's next to me um, 
teaching the Bible study and, and me auditing and then giving them constant feedback so that they can be improving their teaching skills. Um, a, a, another mechanism, I just love the idea of taking people with you to counseling sessions, to, uh, to hospital visits and those kinds of things in order to demonstrate what shepherding looks like, what praying for somebody who's sick or who's somebody who's grieving actually looks like. I thought all of that was excellent. And then being accountable um, to a wider group of people, you know, sending out your sermon notes and asking for feedback so that people can see how a sermon is constructed uh, tangibly is a, is a great, great example. Yeah, very, very well said. Uh, enjoyed that. I do think that we need to be thinking very practically about how we will raise up the next generation um, of leaders, uh, else, else inevitably it won't happen. And so there needs to be um, intentionality as we go about this task. Gentlemen, we're coming to the end of two hours. I can hardly believe it. Um, but where I'd like to end is uh, both yourself, Sean, as well as yourself, Tommy, spoke about books that you could read um, with potential elders. And, and so I'd like to give you the opportunity of maybe just talking about three titles, uh, Joan, which either you have read yourself and find helpful uh, to the topic of biblical leadership, or three titles that you would read with other men in order to equip them um, to serve in the role of elders? Well, um, three, three books we could possibly use. The one is called Church Elders by Jonathan Lehman. Um, it's really practical and really simple to, to work through as an eldership. Another one would be Quite technical would be the biblical eldership by Alexander Straub. That's a, a technical one. So you've got a nice practical one and you've got a technical one. And lastly, we'd have to, I give two, I give one to work through biblical preaching. Um, if you can get a good biblical preaching book, I've, I've got a few. I just can't get their names on top there in my shelf. And then the, the last one would be work through a systematic theo theology book. There's MacArthur or there's Wayne Grudem. Um, that's that's up to to you. But those are four. I know you asked for three, but no, those that's are four. I... And brother, I mean, uh, you've you've dropped books that uh, I'm very familiar with, and I would advocate for as well. Tommy, for yourself, uh, top three books that you would use. Bro, that's unfair. Just three. Just three. <laughs> You're talking about anyway. So I'll I'll say it quickly. So I've got. Five. Okay. Shoot. Everyone's a theologian. R.C. Sproul. Yeah. It's a small condensed systematic theology. I agree. David Helm, Expositional Preaching. Yeah. Uh, I've got Understanding Church Leadership, Mark Dever. Excellent. Church Elders, Jeremy Rini. Mm -hmm. And then the freshly off the print press, uh, God's Design for the Church, a guide for African pastors and ministry leaders. Uh, ah. Those are the five. Yeah. Yeah, by Conrad and Bewe. So, and they're all available in, on Imprint's bookstore. I have to say that. Um, so you can get all of those uh, in our bookstore and Imprint. So, but I've worked through them with several guys, young, old, uh, current elders, uh, and it's it's wonderful resources. Tommy, thanks so much for that. And John, thanks so much for that. Thanks for your time, guys. I really 
appreciate it. Such an important topic. Uh, I think that we've covered it well uh, over the past two hours. Uh, folk that have listened in on the show certainly would have a lot to think through and a lot to chew on. Um, and now you've also given them resources that they can go and take a look at. So really appreciate the conversation. Thank you so much. Uh, to those who are listening in on Radio Pulpit or Radio 702, thank you so much for giving us the last two hours. Uh, I appreciate it. Next week, I'm looking forward to joining you again as we talk through another biblical topic um, in a questions and answers style. And until then, I do trust that you go with God, that you walk wisely, uh, that you live uh, uh, holy lives, uh, and that you evangelize zealously to God's praise and to his glory. Amen.